Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. What's up everyone and welcome to the Reluctant Historian in our second episode. This is the podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. I'm your host, Liz Lawson, and this is our reluctant historian, Dakota Lawson. On this podcast, I'll tell him a story from history, and he will share his unapologetic thoughts and opinions. So if you love history, or you absolutely hate it, this podcast is for you. Alright, so Dakota. Okay, what are we talking about this week? (laughs) Well, this episode was not the one that I had originally planned. Okay. On January 6th this year, 2021, white supremacists stormed the Capitol Hill building. And that really changed the direction of where I wanted to go for episode two. Totally fair. So they stormed it under the pretense of democracy. And I felt like that needed to be addressed. And to talk a little bit about what storming and trying to overthrow a corrupt government actually looks like versus what we saw with white supremacists just being upset and upset with the fact that they're losing their power. So this week, we're going to be talking about something that is one of my favorite episodes in history. It's from an event from the French Revolution. Oh, good. (laughs) And it is called... I'm like so out of breath. (laughs) (laughs) i guess don't go for walks before the podcast no i'm just so nervous talking about this i don't know why because of like what happened on january 6th or 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 about what you're about to talk about no i think about the january 6th i think i don't think i realized how much it actually affected me and i don't think i processed it fully yet oh interesting so this is going to be kind of like a therapy session for you then it might be all right so i still haven't talked about what we're going to be talking about okay so this topic is Um, It's an event that occurred during the French Revolution. And during the French Revolution, there were many moments of mob violence and attacks on government buildings in the name of democracy. We're hoping to get democracy. So this event is called the Storming of the Bestie. The Storming of the Bestie. I I don't think I know this one. (laughs) I didn't think that you would. Okay. Is this like a, I mean, is it a really big thing that happened? Do most people know about this? I wouldn't say that most people know about it, especially because we're not French. Yeah. But it is a huge event in French people, in the French people's psyche. Oh. It still has huge importance to France today. And a lot of Western historians like to call this the event that triggered a democratic revolution for the world, not just for France. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that sounds interesting. You know, we'll see. (laughs) I know, I know. So uh, sit down, buckle up, and get ready to talk about the storming of the Bastille. Also, it's Basti. I thought it was Bestie. So storming of the Basti. Okay. And I don't speak French, so I could be butchering the way that you say that, but Bestie. I took one year of uh, French class in grade six, and I could tell you one word. Un gomme. Do you know what that means? I don't. Eraser. Hmm. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. I'll use that. Je m'appelle Dakota. Un gal. Oh, so you know more than one word. Okay, smartass. recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory in the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement in recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to many different First Nations of Canada. All right, so before we get into our regularly scheduled topic, I would like to share a little segment with you guys called The Golden Nugget. The Golden Nugget is when Dakota and I share a little bit about something good or exciting or positive that has happened to us that week. And it's an allusion to the gold rush of the early 1800s in California. So kind of imagining that we're panning for gold and finding something good and positive in our lives. So Dakota, what was your Golden Nugget this week? 
Yeah, so this week I tried to, you know, start up my uh, YouTube stuff, you know, doing videos and all that, and I finally think I came up with my, uh, what I want, what I want to do with it. And it is going to be a, uh, a video game late night talk show type format. And I'm really excited about it because back when I was in high school, I used to do monologues and act a lot where I would play two different characters and talk to myself and stuff like that. And it was like super fun just getting to act that out. So yeah, I'm super pumped to be able to, you know, relive my glory days as it were, you know, it's all downhill from, from there. From high school? Yeah. It's so. true. It all goes downhill from high school. That's yeah. not true at all. My 30s have been the best. <laughs> well, you met me in your 30s, so <laughs> that, make, that makes sense. Truth. Hashtag truth. What about you? What's yours? Uh, my golden nugget this week, I started my temperature blanket. Yes. Uh, so a temperature blanket each day. Well, each temperature or each... I don't know what the words I'm looking for. <laughs> they can't see your hands, do you? <laughs> um, a temperature blanket, so each increment in temperature so like minus 8 to minus 15 represents a specific color and then so i'll knit a row dependent on what the average color is that day uh and it just represents the changes in the temperature for the whole year so i started that and it's been really fun i taught myself how to knit so i don't know how this is going to turn out i am not doing this from a pattern i'm just making it up as i go along so it could turn out really cool or it could be a disaster. Well, I think it's going to be beautiful. So far, it looks very, quite lovely. Yeah, I like it. it. It's giving me real 70s vibes. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like the colors are giving me real real 70s vibes. Yeah, I mean, you were born then. I don't <laughs> I don't know anything about the 70s. I was so. not born in the 70s. Sure, How old do you think I am? You're 50, right? Yes, I'm 50. It's true. Nice. All right. <laughs> got, got myself a gilf. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the storming of the Bastille. Yeah. Uh, before I get into that, we have to talk a little bit about the French Revolution and why the people of France were revolting. I'm also sure we will talk about this more in future episodes because, like I said, I love the French Revolution. Yeah, it's your favorite, right? Yeah, I wanted to actually do a PhD in history and focus on the French Revolution, but there were two problems to that. One, lots of people have already studied the French Revolution, and two, I don't speak French. That is a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, and you have to read primary sources, so if I can't read the French primary sources... That would be uh, something that would be required, so... Very much so. But, so teaching grade 10, I get to talk about it a lot, and it's lots of fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> for me, maybe not for my students, but... Yeah, I mean, I remember being in history, and <laughs> I'm sure the teacher was having a lot of fun. Well, we do, like, a lot of role plays and stuff. Oh, okay. That was, when I was in grade nine, we would always do, our social studies teacher would have us do, like, role playing. And it was actually fun. It made social fun. Mm-hmm. And then, then we got older and the teachers didn't do that and it was just boring. So mm-hmm. that's cool that you guys do that. Yeah. So in one of my role plays, we actually get to execute the king, so. Execute the king? Yeah. <laughs> that's a topic for a different time. Oh. French Revolution occurred in 1789, but there were lots of things that were building up to it. It was a culmination of hundreds of years of oppression of the poorest members of French society. France at this time was a monarchy, and the monarchy was believed to have been ordained by God, and they believed that he... I was going to say or she, but usually it was just a man. They believed that the king was God's representative on earth, and so he... that God had picked that guy to be the king and to make all the decisions. So he had ultimate power, and people didn't really get to do or have their voices heard this sounds like that's not gonna go well no but it did well this form of government lasted for quite a long time oh really okay Mm -hmm. um the monarchy this monarchy specifically so the sorry uh monarchy define for our audience uh the monarchy means kings or queens okay so they're i don't kings or queens i don't yeah that's fine yeah (laughs) that does it uh, and I guess it would kind of make up with of all of their um, lords and ladies and the people and the princesses that serve them and right, that type yeah. of stuff. I guess we could say that is part of it. But usually it's just like the king or the queen that's okay. in charge. So this family line, the Bourbons, they are well known for spending their money lavishly and spending it on things that were not important. They are also characterized as being really disconnected from the people that they were ruling mm. and being in tons and tons of debt. Oh, 
they were in debt? The king and queen were in debt, yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. You don't think about that when you think of kings and queens. Well, I don't anyways, just about them being, <laughs> you know, you think of them just being like having all the money in the world and not owing any. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think of governments today and how we are also, governments today are in debt. And I also think mm. about how money is just, what is money? Like, what is it really? Whoa, that's so profound. Right, man? <laughs> This time period, 1789, is also around the time of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was a movement in history where people began to question the way things had always been done. Mm. They began to think, uh, maybe we shouldn't be listening to just what the church and our government says to us, and we should make our own decisions. They also think that, like, they thought that they could apply science to the way that people govern themselves. So they thought, we can think about human nature and what does it actually mean to be a person, and how do people actually behave. And so there was lots of philosophers at this time period saying that, like, humans are innately good, or humans are innately bad, and then what is government's purpose in that time period? Mm -hmm. Should government be giving us freedom giving us less freedom because we're bad and we need to be protected and so we have this idea of the social contract so that we will give up some of our freedoms in order to be protected and that's what people were thinking about and debating and we called those people the philosophes the philosophes <laughs> yes or the what? philosophers the philosophers oh, wait is, oh, is that french for philosophers or we are the philosophes i don't know <laughs> remember Two things. Yeah. Number two being I don't speak French. You don't? I don't. I. That's I'm why. Pretty... I th that's why I married you. I thought you knew French. No, sorry. Ugh. I know. Lots of these philosophes gathered in Paris to basically shoot the shit in salons and talk about the nature of government, the nature of human nature. Are people good? How are they bad? How can people govern better? And this is where a lot of our democratic ideas come from. They started thinking that humans are equal. People, well, not humans. Let me let me rephrase that. They started thinking that white men who owned land are all equal, and that those mm. people should have the same say in government and that they should be allowed to make decisions for themselves and that they shouldn't be told by a king what or what not to do. Interesting. So that was one of the first things that started the French Revolution, or laid the groundwork for this French Revolution. Also, prior to this, in 1789, the makeup of the French people was split into three classes, so three class systems, and we call them estates. So okay. Yeah, so the first estate, which is the clergy. Clergy being... I've heard of that. <laughs> clergy being like the church, the priests, um, the bishops. And then that's kind of uh, divided into two sections as well. You would have the higher wealthy cardinals, popes, and... Well, there's one pope. Uh, bishops who make a lot of money. And then you would have like the lower working class clergy people. And they would be like the town's priest or whatever. So okay. there's two divisions in there, but they all fall under the first estate. And we have the second estate of the nobility, the lords and the ladies and the dukes and the duchesses and the earls. Those are all English words, but basically that's what they were. Okay. And then the third estate, which was made up of literally everybody else in France. Now, in this model of government or structure of society, the first and the second estate only made up 3% of the population. And everybody else, the third estate, made up 98% of the population. I sense a revolution. <laughs> and the thing about this is that the clergy and the nobility did not have to pay any taxes. Oh. Right. They had the most wealth. They owned the most land. Whereas the 98% of the third estate, they were the ones that had to pay all of the taxes. And the third estate is also broken down into different groups as well. So you would have the lawyers, the doctors, the butchers. But the majority of them is made up of the peasants who don't have money, who are living in extreme poverty. And they're the group that's paying like the majority of all the taxes. And so they can't actually afford to pay the taxes that were being asked for by literally everybody in their life. So they had to pay taxes to churches, they had to pay taxes to the nobility, and they had to pay taxes to the king. Sometimes they would have to pay, like, salt taxes. Okay, but if they couldn't afford it, what did they do? <laughs> yeah, so you know, they, their punishment for it, they would, wouldn't be able to afford things. What I mean is they are living in abject poverty. Um, there are lots of accounts of British people coming to France and describing what they see. And there's this one really interesting description. This man, he is walking down the road and he comes upon a peasant lady and he's like describing her and he's saying, I thought she was like in her 60s. She was so decrepit and she told me that she was 40. Really? I think she said he was 40. So like they're just falling apart. They have 
no long life expectancy. And I guess if you can't pay your taxes, you'd maybe go to jail. You wouldn't have any leftover money, essentially. All of your money would go to your taxes. And then, damn, that just sounds like a, a horrible existence. Yeah, and also remember at this time period, the king is spending all of his money on ridiculous things, like building literal palaces made of gold. I was going to say Lego, but... <laughs> <laughs> He's not making palaces out of Lego. That's, but... what, I, that's what I would do if, as a king... My first order of business, get me Lego. <laughs> and then I just build the shit on the Lego. Would you make your castle out of Lego? Yes. It would easily be taken down by my enemies. It's true. Which I would have many. That's true. All right. So also finally, this is a time period of great debt for France. King Louis Sixteenth is the king who is in charge during this time period. His grandfather decided that he did not want to live in Paris. So about a hundred-ish years before King Louis came to the throne, his grandfather said, I don't want to live in Paris anymore. I'm going to build my new castle uh, outside of the city in a place called Versailles. So building Versailles cost a ton of money and the upkeep of it also cost a ridiculous amount of money. So they are spending money on the upkeep of this palace. And then they also decide that they're going to help out in a couple of wars across the world. And so France is helping out with the American Revolution. This was going on at the same time? Mm-hmm. Oh, whoa. Yeah. I didn't know that they overlapped. Yeah, well, so the American Revolution is a little bit before. Oh. And actually... So they stole it. They're like, let's have a revolution too. Yes. Oh. So, actually, some of the documents that come out of the French Revolution have their birth in the American Revolution and what they the Americans were fighting for and their mm-hmm. ideals. So, King Louis XIV and the Fifteenth had paid or had borrowed tons of money from banks to pay for France's involvement in the wars, and then they also had borrowed money to pay for Versailles and the lifestyle to which they had become accustomed. Ah, uh, yes, the classic alimony. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just what do you say the life I've become accustomed to? I'm like, ah, that's what alimony is, isn't it? Kind of, yeah. 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 For example, in Marie Antoinette, so that's King Louis's wife, she would have a new dress made every day and make getting a new dress made at this time period is not cheap. Mm. Um, she also spent a ton of money ton of money on her hair and jewelry gambling and all of that sort of stuff so they're not budgeting their money very well some data here an urban commoner was generally spending about 170 percent of their budget oh damn i just don't understand how that worked there weren't credit cards back then i mean but you could still get credit from people you could ask for a loan Okay. Not oh, the same okay. way that we think of it today. I see, I see. So they'd be like, you know, take some of your gold. Or they'd give you some gold and they'd be like, we'll be back to collect. Mm-hmm. They get with interest and stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. Ooh, that sounds scary. Mm-hmm. And the king was spending 160% of his budget. Oh. And 50% of that was on interest to the banks. So wait, so then a lot of what he was spending was stuff he already owed to the bank. Exactly. Yeah. 50% uh, of his budget was basically just paying back the banks. Oh, So we have this time period where we have people thinking about what does it mean to be governed by someone? What does that actually look like? Uh, We have a king who's out of touch with his people, who doesn't understand the plight that they're in. And we have a government system that doesn't give voice to the majority of the people in that country. So all of this comes to head in 1788 when King Louis realizes that he's going to have to raise slash change the way that he is taxing people. He thinks he's probably going to have to start taxing the nobility. And obviously the nobility does not want to be taxed. No, they're going to be pissed. Right? Like they are rich. They're not having to pay any taxes. And so they'd have to give up some of their wealth and they don't want that. He decides he's going to have to have an emergency meeting of the estates general. And the Estates General is kind of an attempt to allow all classes in society to have a voice. They would come together and they would listen to the issue and then they would vote. And I'm using vote in air quotes here. They would vote on the topic to say, yeah, we gave you a voice. But the problem with the way that the Estates General ran was that you had this thing called vote by block versus vote by head. Vote by block means that each group gets its own vote, whereas vote by head means that each person gets a vote. Oh, so it'd be, so there's three classes, so it'd just be two to one every time? Is that how it would work? Exactly. Oh, brutal. And can you guess at all who would probably vote together? 
the the two and one and two yeah exactly (laughs) so the clergy and the nobility right like they have all of the power they have the wealth they get a voice in society so why would they want any changes so usually and and their interests would usually be in line with the king's interests Mm -hmm, for sure when king louis decides that he's going to call this estate's general meeting the third estate says hey like this isn't fair there are 98 percent of us obviously they didn't know that number there are more of us but none of us is getting our voice heard because those two over there even though they're less there's less people they overrule what we say and so the third estate was calling for vote by head and they said this will make things fair we need to have this thing set up differently so that everybody's voice is heard did king louis did king louis think that the people in the third class wouldn't realize that like did he think he was just so smart he's like ah they'll they'll feel like they have a voice well see so this is traditionally the way that the world had been done this third estate the peasants the serfs all of that is not new to society at this time period so did they just accept that we're in the third we're the peasants and stuff like that this is just the way the world works yeah kind of thing exactly and so remember back we talked about the enlightenment and how people start to think for themselves so for hundreds and hundreds of years we've got this estate of serfs of peasants of people that don't get a say just traditionally thinking all right well this is the way it's always been done so this is the way it will always be done but with the enlightenment they're thinking why why is this the way that it is and could it not be better and could it not be different yeah. Another interesting fact. So they're calling this meeting in 1788. They're going to physically meet in 1789. But the last time that the Estates General had actually gotten together to vote or meet on something was in 1614. So 150-ish years. Holy crap, that's a long time. Yeah, so <laughs> for nobody to have any voice in government. Huh. So for this meeting of the Estates General, the Third Estate wanted something different. They wanted to have the vote by head rather than the vote by block. And the king wouldn't let this happen. He said, no, we're going to do it the way that it's always been done. What a dick. Right? But this time, the Third Estate says no. Ooh. Mm-hmm. They say, we're not going to do any work, so we're not going to vote or come to be a part of this, or come to these meetings unless you give us the vote by head. Which I think, you know, when I put myself into their shoes, I kind of think like, well, it doesn't really matter anyways, because the king is all powerful at this time period. And he could just say, well, fine, we're just gonna vote and not raise the taxes and da 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 da. But I'm sure it's more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. So the king says, no, you're not going to have vote by head. And the third estate says, fine, we're not going to do any work. And so the king then says, well, fine, I'm just going to lock you out of your meeting room. So they had been meeting for a couple of months before the actual vote were to happen. And he decides, all right, if you're not going to do your work, I'm locking you out and you will get let back into your meeting room once you decide to actually stop demanding this vote by head. I'm just picturing him like the uh, the king has the key and he's like at the boardroom at the, like the, the soccer center or something like that and just like locks it for them and he says, you're not getting in. And they, <laughs> they, they go to try to open it. Ah, he locked the door. Son of a bitch. <laughs> then they have to go home. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess maybe he was hoping that they would go home, but guess what? What? They don't. They don't? So they're meeting in Versailles, because that's where the king lives, and mm. there's this tennis court in Versailles. Mm. And they're like, all right, that's where we're going. We're going to go meet. You can't lock us out of the tennis court. <laughs> So they go to an indoor tennis court and that is where they- Oh, it's indoor. He can lock them out. Yeah. (laughs) And so they decide that they're not going to disband. They're going to be a group of the third estate until they have created a new constitution for France and they call it the Tennis Court Oath. Oh, I heard of that one. Oh, good. (laughs) I I mean, I don't like, I couldn't have told you what it was, but you know, that one sounds familiar. (laughs) So the tennis court oath, they promise that they're going to create a new constitution for France, very similar to what America had, right? Like the constitution. And the king kind of realizes that this is not the same as what he's dealt with or what his ancestors has dealt with. And he thinks, okay, I probably am going to have to work with these people in order to make changes. Because he still does need to raise taxes. He needs to get the money to pay back the debt. In the tennis court oath, they call themselves the National Assembly. And it's a really big deal because it signals 
signals the beginning of the French people's refusal to bow to the king's absolute authority. Also a huge step in terms of democracy. So we can see the beginnings of dissent for the sake of the people. And that's different than what we saw with the attack on the Capitol Hill. Because what was happening in Capitol Hill was we had a small group of white supremacists upset that they're losing their power incited by a, I'm going to call him a dictator. I would agree with that term. And they're say they're fighting an actual democratic process, which was the voice of the people, their votes being counted. So it's not the same. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a mm-hmm. bit. So we're at the Bastille now. Oh, the Bastille. I've been yeah. waiting for this one. So all of this is happening in Versailles, which is a couple miles out of Paris. But we still have things happening in Paris. The Bastille is a medieval fortress that exists in Paris at this time. It's a political prison. It's very impractical. There are only seven prisoners in it at the time of its storming. Um, but what it really stands for is it's a symbol of the monarch's lavish spending and a symbol of what the monarchy stands for and the oppression of the people. The National Assembly is in Versailles, but people are still in Paris. They're chilling there and they're upset about what's happening. They know that the Estates General is meeting, getting ready to talk about what's going to happen. But they're also, the people of Paris are also worried because they notice that the king has brought in a lot of troops from outside of Paris and they're surrounding Paris. So they're not sure what is going to happen at the end of this. They're not sure if he's going to call in the army to oppress them even more and so they're getting kind of a mob mentality they're getting really worked up and worried and think they're gonna have to fight back during this time period they find out that the king has banished and fired his finance minister jacques necker banished like he actually was like you get out of here you are banished from these lands yes and they and Jacques Necker had been a strong voice for the Third Estate. He really wanted to see reforms to give them some breaks in taxes, maybe give them some a voice in government. He had really come up with a lot of progressive ideas, and the firing of him really freaked out the people of Paris, and they were really upset by him doing this. And so they hear about his firing on July 12th, and they believe that this is the start of a coup by conservative people and monarchist loyalists. So there are people that are loyal to the monarchy at this time period. And so they believe that his firing is a signal to these people to start and get rid of the third estate. Their unrest is exacerbated by the number of royal troops that are continuing to grow outside of Paris. And so they have a rally in a place called the Palace Royale. The, the, the what, sorry? Palace Royale. Palace Royale. Again, I don't speak French. Palace, I could be saying that wrong. Palace Royale. And 10,000 people are there at this rally. Okay. Obviously, they're not calling it a rally at the time period, but I'm just using words that we would understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a man there called Camille Des Moines, and he tells the crowd there on July 12th that now is the time to take action. The firing of Necker is a sign that the king is not going to listen to their demands and that they need to take action. They need to take the first step. So he rallies the crowd to action and he tells them that there's no time to lose, that the troops that are outside of Paris are going to attack them. He tells them that the dismissal of Necker is the first step. And that they're going to be massacred that night. And so he kind of riles them up and says, this is not a good sign. I don't think he's doing it maliciously. I think this is actually what they believed was going to happen. And so these 10,000 people are getting really unhappy, right? They think they're going to be attacked by the royal army. And they're also thinking that they're going to lose their voice in government. Yes, like they have a voice. Well, yeah. (laughs) So, so, sorry, which was the guy that uh, riled them up? Uh, Camille Des Moines. Okay. Have we talked about him yet? No. Okay. Um, so so this Camille Medoin. Des Moines. Medoin. Des Moines. Ma- Medoin. Why did this guy... <laughs> Say his name again? Camille Des Moines. Why did Camille Medoin... I'm just doing Why did Camille Medoin... <laughs> that to <don't> <laughs> Okay, so why were they listening to this Camille guy? Why was he the one that they were like, you know what? Yeah! Well, I think it's just natural that in every, in lots of situations like this, you're going to look to a leader. Right, and he came out as that in this situation. They Mm -hmm. were like, well, he's the one, you know, he's Mm -hmm. got, he's got the... He was a lawyer. Oh, he's a lawyer. Okay. So he's got the silver tongue. 
Yes, he could manipulate them into doing whatever his bidding was. I guess. I don't like to think of him as manipulative, but he could, you know... In history, was he was he a good guy or was yeah. he a bad guy? Okay. Yeah, because okay, he's, so yeah. he's on the side of the people, right? Yeah, so no, he wasn't manipulative. He was a good boy. That's an interesting comment on uh, bias in history. Are you saying I'm biased? I'm just saying that, like... Because we think he was a good boy, we're going to say that he wasn't manipulating it. But if people thought that he was a bad guy, people could turn that and say he was manipulative. It's very interesting. That's so. There's always you know two sides. Two, there's always two sides to every story. So in your story, the universal you, you know, you're the good guy. You're the hero of the story. But you know, in somebody else's story, you could be the villain. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. kind of like that, I guess. Yeah, and history is generally told by the victors. Yeah. That's very true. Yes. I have heard that term. Yes. July 12th, Camille Des Moines riling the people up. He's getting them all revved up and being like, we got to strike back now. The Royal Guard, they're coming for us. He dismissed Necker. We are in trouble. And so this group of people, they begin to grow increasingly hostile towards the state. And they start to plunder slash loot places in Paris. They're looking for food. They're looking for guns. They're looking for supplies that could be hoarded. Remember, they're quite poor people as it is. And so over the night and the following days, they be- the people of Paris continue to hear rumors that are spread in regard to people hoarding supplies in different places. And so the people of Paris will go to those places and take and do more looting. So Paris is in chaos at this time period. Yeah. It's, yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. So it's in chaos. And on the morning of July 14th, they go to a place called Hotel des Invalides. And I'm saying that wrong, I know. Hotel des Invalides. And they go there and there's no opposition to them. They're able to break in. They're able to get the weapons that are inside. But they realize that there's no gunpowder. Is this a hotel? No, it's like a... I don't actually know what it is. I think it's just like a like a building. Oh. I've been there. I've looked at this place. Oh, cool. It's, it's just like a big old building. Oh. I think right now it's actually a museum. Okay. I'm I'm guessing it would have been like a like a I don't know like a government building. Yeah, but not a hotel. Not a hotel. Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know for the the audience because I I was uh, as a person who doesn't know history, I was sitting here going, "Why are they getting guns at the hotel? (laughs) Just go to them to the gun store, okay? (laughs) Exactly. They should just go to the gun store. Yeah, 17th century Paris. Avi. So they have their weapons there, and they realize that they need gunpowder, which is stored in the Bastille. (gasps) No! Yes. So, again, there are only seven prisoners there at that time. There are four forgers, a lunatic. A lunatic? Yeah, who had been imprisoned at the request of his family. So there's just a a crazy guy there? Oh, these are the prisoners that are in the Bastille Mm -hmm. right now. (laughs) Yeah, at that time, yeah. Okay. An assassin. Okay, are you, like, listing, is this the Justice League of the Bastille or something? (laughs) We've got, uh, what was the first one? Four foragers. we got four foragers. We've got an assassin and a lunatic. Ah! <laughs> I don't know what the Justice League is, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> Dear, this is embarrassing. <laughs> you know the Avengers? Yes. They're basically the Avengers, but for DC Comics. <gasps> right, so Batman? S- Superman and Batman, yeah. <laughs> and Wonder Woman. Yeah, this is, um, you, you might want to wanna do- just cut this one out. Like, this is, like, really embarrassing for you. <laughs> We're going to have to do a second podcast where you teach me about comics. That would be great. I could teach you many things about the Spider-Man. <laughs> Four forgers, a lunatic imprisoned at the request of his family, an assassin, and one deviant aristocrat. Hello, I'm a deviant aristocrat. <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but basically his family had also decided. So I'm picturing him as a cat because do you remember the Disney movie, The Aristocats? Yes. You know, he's, he's a, he's a, <laughs> he's a cat who thinks he's a dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's four people or seven people in there. Mm-hmm. Not really doing much. Mid morning, the crowd had gathered in front of the Bastille and they were asking the fortress to pull back its cannons and release the, there are weapons there, but also the gunpowder that is stored there. They're trying to protect themselves from the threat of the Royal Guard. Two representatives of this mob were invited into the fortress to begin negotiations. So at the time they had a man who was in charge of the Bastille, kind of like the prison warden, I guess. And so he invites two representatives. Why are you looking at me like this? No, no, I'm just thinking of jokes. Okay. I'm just like, 
I was just picturing him talking like, you know, your classic warden from prisons. I'm the warden. Come in here. Come yeah. talk to the warden. <laughs> so the two people from the mob are invited into the fortress to begin negotiations. They continue to drag on. The crowd outside is super impatient. They're like, what's happening? We need this gunpowder. If we're going to protect ourselves, you better get it for us. And around 1.30, they surge into the inner courtyard. So fortresses generally have like different numbers of walls to protect them. So they break past the first wall and they're into the second courtyard. And a small party climbs onto a building next to the gate of the inner courtyard and break the chains on the drawbridge. Because remember, it's a medieval castle sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And as the drawbridge falls, it crushes one person underneath it. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. So they accidentally ended up killing one of their own. Oh, gosh. That's that's unfortunate it for is. them. It is. I know. There's a really excellent YouTube video that shows all of these events. It's in French, um, but I always show it to my grade 10s, and I, it does a really awesome job of showing what exactly happens. You just have to read the subtitles. Yeah. <laughs> they break the chains on the drawbridge, and the soldiers that are defending the Bastille at this time, they say... They're saying, get out of here. Get out of here. They're waving their hands at them, and there's some sort of confusion. The shouts are misinterpreted as encouragement to enter. So the people, the soldiers inside are saying, get out of here, get out of here. What? Come over here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's probably exactly how it was Well, you said so. Let's go, guys. (laughs) So they're like, oh, we're being invited in. They're like vampires. Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, as they enter the next part of the courtyard, gunfire erupts, apparently spontaneously. There's a couple of different sources that'll say a person shot by accident. They were scared, whether it was a soldier or whether it was a person in the mob. Lots of different resources or sources say different things. But basically something happens, gunfire erupts, and the crowd turns into a mob and they go wild. They start fighting more intensely. They uh, become a lot more violent in their actions. And by 3 p.m., they found the crowd who had found support from mutinous French guards. They took control of two cannons. I'm just picturing Down with the Sickness by Disturb playing during this. Like, the guns start firing, and then it goes, and just goes, you know, freaking crazy. (laughs) I guess. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's what it was like. Or, uh, uh, what's that one song? Um, Drop the... Bodies? No. The bodies hit the floor? Let the, bo- Let the bodies hit the floor! Ah! You know? That's probably what they were thinking. Yeah. So they, 3 p.m., they've got support from the mutinous French guards. They've got a cannon. The Royal Guard, so remember, they're in Paris. They're around Paris. They're close to this area. Do nothing. Governor of the Bastille, so that's like the warden, uh, Delaunay, realized that if this were to continue, what was happening, there would be a high number of deaths on both sides. He issues an offer of surrender, but he also threatens that if they don't let him and his people go safely, he's going to explode the powder stocks that are in the basement of the bestie well that's a confusing surrender <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we surrender let us go safely and if you don't we're gonna blow up the building yeah it's obviously not accepted and by 5 30 delaunay is forced to give up regardless because there's no food and there's no water inside the building which like i don't know the seven people in there just didn't get any food maybe it was trekked in every day yeah maybe i don't know i don't know how 1700s worked <laughs> So the mob takes control of the fortress by 5.30 p.m. And when did they start? Uh, They started at around... They're meeting... They're in front of the building at mid-morning, but they breach the walls by 1.30. And then by 3, they actually have control of some of the cannons and other army people. Sounds like a good, honest day's work. It was, yeah. yeah. They were successful. So in the attack, 98 attackers and one defender died. And this is mostly due to the fact that those who were defending had been well defended by the garrison wall. Lunay, the governor slash warden man, was seized and he was dragged into the streets. Oh, God. He was beaten and abused along the way. They were taking him to another hotel place where they were going to try... Not the hotel! (laughs) Don't take me to the hotel! Where they were going to try him by, like, a kangaroo court. So basically the people who were in... A kangaroo court. Come on, you're setting me up for these ones, okay? <laughs> it's actually a phrase. It means like... The, the... Who, who named this one? The guy who thought of tennis court oath? <laughs> a kangaroo court is a court that's in session that... So do you remember in 
Batman, where the the third one with Catwoman, and they have that what is Scarecrow? And oh, he's like, oh yeah. Sorry, I was thinking, <laughs> I was about to actually you. I was thinking the uh, the Tim Burton Batman's, and I was like, actually, it's the second one. But no, you're talking the Christopher Nolan movies. Yes, yeah, Scarecrow. He's like the court. Uh, what's the person at the top of the court? Like a judge. He's the he's the judge, and he's basically telling them that they can go that they have two options but it's really just one option of going out onto the ice yeah and like there's no actual evidence or anything like that so that's that's a kangaroo court that's what that means oh so there's basically it's just there's there's no evidence but you can be tried anyways Mm -hmm. oh interesting and by people that aren't (laughs) and then this kangaroo's gonna kick the (laughs) shit out of you Yeah, and like there's no, it's it's usually done by like groups that don't have the power to enact judgment. Oh, okay. So they were taking him to a hotel to try him by a kangaroo so, court. Now you're saying hotel. It's hotel. 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 Uh, so they bring him to the hotel de vie, <laughs> and they were about to debate his fate. And so remember, he'd been beaten and abused the whole way there. Yeah. And he shouts, "Enough! Let me die!" And then he kicked an attacker in the crotch. And oh, so the rest of the crowd stab him to death. Oh, my God. So we have a quote from an English traveler who was there at the time, Dr. Edward Rigby. And he says, We perceived two bloody heads raised on pikes, which were said to be the head of the Marquis de Lunay, governor of the Bastille. It was a chilling and horrid sight. Shocked and disgusted at this scene, we retired immediately from the streets. Three other officers of the Bastille were also killed by the crowd. So the king learns of this the next morning. So remember, we're in France. We don't have the 24-hour news media cycle that we have today. People Mm -hmm. aren't watching this in real time. The king learns about it the next day, and he asks, Is this a revolt? And the response was, No, sire, it's not a revolt. It's a revolution. And by the morning of July 15th, we see the true impact of the event. He and his military commanders back down, and many people consider this event the beginning of the French Revolution. Oh, wow. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is the storming of the Bastille. Okay, very cool. So how long did the French Revolution last then, if this was the start of it? Well, it was a really long, drawn-out process. It was roughly ten years. Oh, wow. uh, Before we saw some sort of rest in the population of the French. Mm -hmm. There's lots of different things happening. They're not sure how they should govern. We have other dictators taking control. His name's Robespierre. They don't know what their constitution should look like. There's lots of other really juicy things that happen like the king is charged with treason oh, wow king louis yeah wow Wait, um, so how long is he around for does he stay throughout the entire revolution he does not <gasps> does he die i don't know i do know oh i was like god you gotta stop saying you don't know you're a history teacher <laughs> you're supposed to know everything yeah well it could be a topic for a future yeah uh, no future spoilers <laughs> yeah no future spoilers of history <laughs> 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 so uh, to all you listeners you can go look this up yes you, but <laughs> you don't need us <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's a fascinating time period and it's just really interesting i think to see them doing these experiments with democracy and with the constitution and what makes a citizen and what rights does that citizen have and uh they try to figure it out and france is just a mess at this time period and so it kind of comes full circle with 10 years after this napoleon becoming emperor of france so basically just a king of France, but no longer a king. He's now the emperor. And this happened after the French Revolution? Yes. Oh, man, it just sounds like they went through a shitty time. <laughs> they really did. <laughs> French Revolution ends and Napoleon's like, nah, nah, nah. That is exactly what he said. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, what? why did you say that? Nah, nah, nah. You will see. Yeah. Just cackles. Yeah. Yes. But the big thing to take from this is that the people have had enough. The people of France have had enough and they're saying this is not how we're going to live our lives anymore and we need to get a voice and we need to have voice in government. And if you're not going to listen to us, we are going to attack you. That's what we were supposed to take away from that? I was taking away that you don't kick someone in the nuts. You might get stabbed. (laughs) I guess that's one thing to take away. Um, In 1880... So this is about 100 years after the fact. Yeah. The French people choose to make the storming of the Bastille their national holiday. So we have Canada Day. They have Bastille Day. Oh, cool. This is July 14th. It remains a powerful symbol of the people bringing down a despotic government and putting an end to arbitrary rule. And the fall of the Bastille reminds us of the desire for democratic rule, which is rule with the consent of and for the benefit 
of the people. And that's the important point to note. Democracy is for the people. It's, it's with consent of the people in the terms of that we vote for something. And it's to help the people. It's for their benefit. It's not to take advantage of them or restrict their rights. And that's the key thing that I think we need to know that is the difference. Because when I first heard about the storming of Capitol Hill, I immediately thought about the storming of the Bastille. They have similar looks on the surface, but when you look at what they're actually standing for, they're completely different things. The storming of Capitol Hill was the antithesis of the storming of the Bastille. I saw a tweet that actually said that the storming of Capitol Hill would be similar to the people of France storming the Bastille to say, we would like the king to stay in power and keep starving us. I know that in in democratic societies, there is place for dissent, there is place for protest, there is place for us to stand up to corrupt governments. But the problem with this event that we had, that the Americans had, is that they had been lied to, they had been cheated, they had been told false narratives in order to rile them up to believe that their democracy was under attack. And none of that was true. So everything that they had been told... They think that they're fighting for a cause that isn't real. And then on top of that, we have these white supremacists in there waving Nazi flags who don't want to give up their power. They realize that with Trump no longer being in power, that they no longer have validation to what they've been saying. And they should not be having validation. No, no. There's no place for white supremacy in our world. And I agree. I know that's a crazy thing to say. <laughs> and so, like, these people are just deluded in their thought processes. And I just, I can't fathom where they are thinking that they have lost. Because democracy won. Democracy said... We vote for Joe Biden. And to say, we're going to storm the Capitol so that we can, I don't know, take back these votes, that's not democracy. That's not consent of the people. That's not the rule. That's not the voice of the people. And I don't I don't understand why they think that... Well, I do understand, but that's... It's just... I understand because they're tired. They don't want to lose their power. They want to stay supreme. They want to have this hatred be a part of their lives continually. And they want to keep biopic people down. And they want to keep minorities down and they don't want to relinquish their power. And that's that's what it is. With the French Revolution, we see the cry of liberty, fraternity, and equality. These are essential pillars of democracy. White supremacists storming Capitol Hill, they're not crying for liberty. They're not crying for equality. They're not crying for brotherhood. That, well, I guess they are because they're Aryan brotherhood. But they're not crying for like that we are a group of people that need to work together to come out on top of this despotic government. So it's not the same. There's no connection between the storming of the Bastille and the storming of Capitol Hill. They are complete opposite events that have happened. And the people who stormed Capitol Hill are deluded. They're ridiculous. They're, they're jackasses. <laughs> they're jackasses. And so I just, I just... I wanted to talk about that because I wanted to touch on the fact that what they say they're fighting for is a complete fabrication that isn't real. There's no stealing of the election. There's no... Democracy hasn't been destroyed by Joe Biden winning. Democracy is under attack by Donald Trump and by these people trying to storm Capitol Hill. Know that. All right. So... Your rating, please, Mr. Lawson. So at first I wasn't sure about the French Revolution that we were going to go into. I thought, ah, I played that Assassin's Creed game. That game sucked. <laughs> it but, did. Yeah, but uh, as the story went on, I found it getting more and more interesting. Just them getting into the, into the be sorry. Bastille. Bastille. I thought that was, that was interesting. Um, it just, you know, again, I just... Uh, I feel like it would have been surrounded by, you know, just uh, disturbed or let the bodies hit the floor just to make it more epic, I suppose. Or something patriotic, I guess. But, you know, I prefer my version. No, no, it's not as high as last week's. So I'll give you this, okay? Because last week's was, as I said, riveting information. At first, I was like, maybe thinking 6, 6, 5. Ooh. I'm going, I'm going up to 7, 5. 7.5. Are you disappointed by that? No. You sound disappointed by that. Why no. are you disappointed by 7.5? I need to up my game. Not necessarily. It's just there are different topics that interest different people, mm. right? Vaccines are more interesting to me than uh, the French Revolution. 
but doesn't mean it's it's bad. I think seven seven five is still a good score. Uh, it was still entertaining, and I I think it'd be cool to see a follow up to this. And that's saying a lot coming from me, but I'm genuinely curious uh, when King Louis gets his comeuppance. You know, when he gets his kick in the nuts or stabbed in the nut nuts, not stabbed in the nuts. That'd be painful. When he gets stabbed for kicking someone in the nuts, this this has gotten this analogy has gotten away from me. Uh, the point is, you know, I want to see the villain getting taken down. This feels like like the mid mid act or the the. This felt like the second act of a movie or something mm-hmm. like that, and I'm waiting for the finale. So yeah. it, it's got a good hook to be like, whoa, this would be a perfect end to the first season of a television show because it's enough hook to lead you into the second season with enough room to grow and eventually get to Napoleon. Mm-hmm. And that's where the story, I don't know much about Napoleon, but does that, I mean, is that an inter- interesting point in history? It is, yeah. He's a really fascinating person. Okay. So, I mean, maybe we'll get into that at some point, you know? Mm-hmm. See where this takes us. But yeah. that's 7.5. It's good. I was entertained. 7.5 watts out of 10. Oh, 7.5 nut kickings out of 10. Okay. Perfect. So that's all we have for today. We'd like to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, or just tell your friends about us. If you want to stay in contact or see behind-the-scenes action, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian. Or if you want to shoot us an email with future show ideas or corrections you may have noted, you can email us at thereluctanthistorian at gmail.com. So we'll see you next week. Same time, same place. And remember, don't kick someone in the nuts. If you do, you might get stabbed. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Erickson, host of The Open Highway. You know, I've had some incredible adventures in my life, and along the way I learned a little bit about everything, which, to be honest with you, is just enough to get me into trouble. But I bring that with me when I sit down with guests from the worlds of politics, news, science, current events, entertainment, and more. The Open Highway with Eric Erickson. Join me on The Open Highway, and let's have a conversation. Find it wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.